I've spent a lot of time over the last years thinking about the church. And it's become the church is part of my passion. Not because of the church itself, but because of what God has done for me and what I see Him doing in the church. And I love the church in that sense. And, you know, some of, some of you as brothers have talked to me over the past couple months about, you know, building strong brotherhood and being a strong church. And I've been thinking about that and I was preparing for Bible school and, and I just kept thinking, you know, I, I, can't, I can't think much about that because I'm preparing for Bible school. But I had, I had some things that were, that were stirring in my mind during that time. And one of, the, one of the things that was stirring in my mind was the message I preached uh, three weeks ago on the parable of potential. Um, what potential we have as uh, people. And my, my heart behind that was that we would recognize that potential and, and reach out for the potential that we have as God's people. And be serious about it. And uh, thinking about this idea of, of brotherhood and these upcoming uh, studies that we're going to do and, and discussions that we're going to have about brotherhood, um, that's, that's part of what I was thinking about when I was thinking about potential. But also, this morning's message is related to that as well. And uh, this message this morning I'm going to call the parable of purpose. And whenever you, whenever you start to talk about or think about a, a specific subject, you always need to keep it kept connected to the greater purpose. What's the purpose? Why do we have a church here? Do we just come together to, to play church? Or is there a, something bigger that's involved? What is our purpose? Well, that kind of led me to the question, what is salvation? I'd like to hear from you a little bit this morning. In your mind, what is salvation? It's a gift. Thank you. Very good. Salvation is to be protected, heal, control, to do well, to, to be, to make whole, whole, protecting, deliver. That's good. Very kind of long that line. I was thinking delivered from the power of Satan. Mm-hmm. So salvation has this sense of being saved from something. And that's coming out in what in your all's responses. Like there's something that I, we, someone needs to be saved from. And I think at its very root, salvation is salvation from sin. And what sin does to us, because sin destroys us. And salvation is 
is being able to be free from not only from sin, but from what it does to us. So, would you agree that to have eternal life, since sin leads to death, to have eternal life is really to have salvation? And so, the Bible teaches that all the world, everyone has sinned. And we all know that, that we have sinned. And we needed salvation. We recognize salvation from that sin. But the answer to that was not just to get free from sin, but it was also to experience eternal life. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. There's actually two parables here. Two parables in three verses. That's pretty concise. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 44. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's in a pretty fairly long discourse about the kingdom of heaven. And he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So two stories Jesus told here in just a little brief brief thing about two men and what they did, what they looked for, what they did, and what they found. So, that's going to represent the treasure and the pearl. That's the man. The man was looking for something. And when he found it, when he found that treasure, he went, he sold what he had, went and bought the field, went and bought the pearl. He started to take steps when he found that treasure to move towards that treasure. And he went and he accessed the treasure. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like these parables. What does that mean? The kingdom of heaven is like. Well, Whatever holds this place in your life is your God. Okay? So whatever you are willing to sacrifice to is your God. These men went and sacrificed everything that they had to get access to the treasure and to the pearl. Jesus is saying that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
Why did God create us? Right. That's good. To glorify Him. To glorify Him. That's good. So God created the world. And when He created the world, He created everything in it. And on the sixth day, He created man. And the unique thing about man was He said that let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And so the difference between man and all the rest of the creation was that man was made in God's image. And so God made the whole world, the whole, the whole earth brings glory to God. But the special thing about man is that he is in God's image. And being in God's image, he has the capacity, like Mark said, to have a relationship to know God. What is eternal life? My question is, what is eternal death? We can answer that when we answer the first question. <laughs> Does anybody have a verse from the Bible that tells you what eternal life is? The reason, I'm, the reason I'm asking this question is because we need to think from our created purpose, from the perspective of our created purpose. As we read God's Word, we need to understand our created purpose. Somewhere it says that, and this is eternal life, but I can't say the rest. John 17.3. Good job. And this is life eternal that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. God wants us to know Him. That's why He created us. You and I are in little, our sins accepted, what God is in large. Being made in His image, we have within us the capacity to know Him. This is A.W. Tozer. Religion, so far as it is genuine, is in essence the response of created personalities to the creating personality, God. God is a person, and in the deep of His mighty nature, He thinks, wills, enjoys, feels, loves, desires, and suffers as any other person may. In making Himself known to us, He stays by the familiar pattern of personality. He communicates with us through the avenues of our minds, our wills, and our emotions. The continuous and unembarrassed interchange of love and thought between God and the soul of the redeemed man is the throbbing heart of New Testament religion. End of quote. The heart of God is to be known. And the heart of what the Bible teaches is that we can know God and we can have a close, intimate communication with Him. We can know Him. And that's right in keeping with the first commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart.
in Revelation, John preached last week about our first love. It's seeking to know God with all of our being. And to set our, to set our measure, brothers and sisters, that anything less is to miss it. Is to miss the heart of what the New Testament is trying to tell us. And then to know God gives proper order to our lives. And I believe that people have set many things up as God in their lives. And sometimes good things. Things that could be good. But they fall short of who He is and what He is. And what He desires for us. So I want to think now a little bit about God how God reveals Himself. So, how did God create the world? He spoke. He spoke. He created the world with the Word. So God, in His mighty personality, through the Word, brought about the existence of something that could know Him. Are you with me? In creating humanity, God was, God was putting out, speaking out something through the Word that could know Him and in essence then reveal Himself. Because then we could know Him and we could be connected with Him. And so God's desire from the very beginning when He created man good was that there could be that connection, that knowing connection that would reveal who He was, His character, His person to Adam. And there could be a relationship there. So God has a desire to know and to be known. And in His image, we also have a desire to know and to be known. Now think about the tree. The tree of knowledge. The tree to know of good and evil. Satan played on Eve's desire to know. He said, there's something you can know that's beyond what God created for you. And he played on her desires. And evil is the exploitation of those desires apart from God. And when Adam and Eve took of that fruit, when they walked into sin, they walked into darkness and death. But the death wasn't annihilation. It was separation from the capacity to know God. And so they opened a door that they couldn't close and in some senses they shut a door that they couldn't open. They were separated from God apart from anything that they can do. Fast forward 4,000 years and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
the image of the invisible God. The express image of God's person. You know who that's talking about? Jesus. The Word reveals God. I'd like to read those passages. John 1 is the first one. John 1.12 But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Then Colossians 1. Colossians 1, beginning at verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. The image of the invisible God. The next one in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The express image of God's person. Do you want to know God this morning? Do you want to know who He is? you want to know His person? Pick up the Bible. Go to the book of Matthew. Start there and read through the Gospels. And when you're done, go back to the book of Matthew and start there and read through the Gospels and you open up your heart to Jesus Christ, you open up your heart to God and ask Him to show you the truth, and He will show you Himself in the person of Jesus. You can know God. He has revealed Himself to us. Alright? Hopefully you can see well enough to see that. So God created the world by His Word. And man, by disobeying His Word, 
remove his ability to know God. And God re-extended his work so that we could know him in the person of Jesus. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Jesus Christ, we find the personality and the person of God, the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe. Now I want to think about this morning what that means for us. God is spirit. And Jesus came to impart to us a spiritual relationship with God. A spiritual connection with God. And Jesus said that the word that he spoke was spiritual. Now, there's things that Jesus said that are says and says to us that are easy to understand. And there's things that Jesus says that aren't so easy to understand. There's things in this book that are hard to understand. And there's things in this book that are easy to understand. Paul calls the relationship of that, he calls it milk and meat. So you've got things down here at the bottom that are easy for us to get a hold of and understand. And then as we move towards the person of God and as that spiritual relationship develops, we can see deeper into the person and personality of God and we can better understand who He is. And the farther up this line we move towards understanding God, then the better we can understand who we are as people. And so ultimately we can better understand life as a result of that. So how up this line do we want to go? Maybe this far? Maybe this far? This far? How high do we want to go in experiencing God and getting the direction that we need for life? So, maybe this starts out with something easy like don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, do, be thankful, do. Um, do worship, do love, those around you. So, you know, you're, these, these are things that are easy for us to understand. And so, we, we look at those things and we say, okay, so this is is part of what the word of God tells me that I should do. And the better and, and as we move up these things, you know, to not kill is good, but to love is better. And so as we as we develop these basic spiritual truths in our lives, then the greater spiritual truths, as they become available to us, then we, we move in some sense towards God as we take those steps of obedience that God calls us to in the simple things, the simple understandings.
So these little lines here are actually spiritual disciplines that you put in your life. So they're little things that you recognize as true. And so you don't or you do do those things as a result of your recognition of their truth. So those are disciplines. So how many disciplines do we put in our life? Well, we're, we should continually, if our relationship with God is growing, we should be continually developing those disciplines of truth in our life as, as, this, as the Spirit of God is working in us. So what did Jesus call us to be? He called us to be His disciples, right? So where is Jesus right now? That's not a trick question. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's with the Father. So what Jesus said is, if any man will come after Me, I'm with the Father. If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. And the cross is a discipline. It's a pruning. The cross is a difference between my will and God's will. So we're down here in the world, in the world. And we are our own, we have the choice of remaining free from God and remaining in sin. But if we want to be part of God's kingdom, we must be born again. And so there has to be a change in which I give up who I am so that I can take on the life of God. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. There has to be an initial end of myself in which I give myself to God for me to be born again. But then, I'm called to a life of following Jesus in discipleship or in disciplines in my life that take me toward God. John was talking, and, and we each have expectations or at least some level of understanding about what that means and what that looks like. In other words, if you're going to be a Christian, well, what does that mean? What does that mean is going to change about your life? And we all have some level of expectation about what that means. And uh, Brother John Perfect last week uh, kind of gave us, got our minds rolling on that when he said, you know, if you're going to go into the jungle somewhere and you're going to minister to people and you're going to start a church, you're going to have some expectations about what's going to change in the lives of those people as a result of them coming to know the gospel. So, you know, maybe it's this don't kill, don't steal, don't lie. Do be thankful, worship, and love. You know, maybe those are your basic, but each one of us has a certain level of those expectations. But one of the things that's really critical about it is that we understand that those expectations need to be rooted in the Word of God. 
like Franklin said, every in Sunday school class, every illustration breaks down to a certain point, and this one does too. But this one's been helpful for me, and hopefully it can be helpful for you as well. Uh, Rachel and Kenny helped me develop this one in Bible school, actually, in the Book of Acts class. We talked about this illustration a little bit. Um, and also in Separation Nonconformity class. Okay, so let's just think for a little bit about the Book of Acts and about... Um, what happened in the book of Acts. Okay, so there were some expectations that the apostles had of things that would happen when somebody became a believer. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, Peter preached a powerful sermon. And what did he tell them to do? Repent. Repent. Be, baptized. Be baptized. They had some expectations. Acts 15. They were group of um, Gentiles, a bunch of Gentiles who come into the faith. There were Jews in the faith. There was disagreement about how they were to handle some of the Old Testament practices. They got together. They had some expectations. You know how many it was? Four. Thank you, Dirk. That's right. Four expectations. So besides the repent and baptize, there were four expectations that they, were, they expected the people to follow. Okay, so not only were there these expected disciplines that they were wanting to happen, but there were also ones that just flowed naturally out of the Spirit working in the lives of the believers. Can you name some of those things? What did the church do? They got together regularly. They broke bread. They prayed together. There were things that just flowed naturally out of the work of the Spirit in their life. And, and they actually disciplined themselves in some ways for that to happen. They sold property. They gave the property. There were things that, that happened as a result of them coming to know the truth and live it out. So, what these disciplines do is they bring us to a place where we are able to better access a deeper understanding of who God is and to develop our spiritual connection, our knowing of Him. And so, I hope you're all with me. I hope you would say that these spiritual disciplines are good things for our spiritual lives. So to develop these spiritual disciplines is a good thing in our lives. And when we enter into this relationship, you know, maybe one guy comes from here and another from here. Well, they come really down here somewhere probably. But uh, so these people come to the truth and so this guy's in a relationship with God, this guy's in a relationship with God. And so we don't come into a relationship with God on a completely individual basis. We enter into a relationship with God that is also that other people also have. So that's what makes up the church. The church is the people 
who have come and developed a relationship or have a relationship with God through the new birth. And each one of those people that comes has an expectation about what that means. And that is brought together collectively. And we agree on disciplines that are part of the Christian experience, should be part of the Christian experience. But they should be grounded in the Word of God. Things that are grounded in the Word of God. So, I'll pick on Brother Ben and Brother John. You know, how many years have you been a Christian, Ben? Yeah, 65, 66. Okay, it's a little bit longer than I've been alive. <laughs> John, how about you? Okay, so we have two brothers here that have been Christians longer than a lot of us have lived. Okay? So they've had a relationship with God all this time and they've been putting disciplines in their life to develop their relationship with God. And I have a feeling that both of those men do things that aren't required of them by this body in relation to this relationship. Would that be true of your life, John? Like you have disciplines in your life that aren't, we don't particularly require of you to, to exhibit. That would be true. Yeah. So there, those disciplines have come as a result of, of your desire to, to know God in a deeper way. So, since they have such a volume of experience, if they would just lay out to us, you know, just all these disciplines, and then we would just do those disciplines, then we'd have it. Because it's not relationship. So we all enter into this at varying degrees. I mean, we're, 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 coming, we're here together as a church this morning, and we all have varying degrees of maybe these disciplines in our lives. So can their disciplines help us? Yeah. Yes. But how will they have... have what will have to be in place for them to help us? If you don't know John, or if you don't know Ben, those disciplines aren't going to be able to help you. But as you enter into relationship with your brothers and sisters, then those relationships can help you, to, they can bring value and disciplines into your life that can help you to grow spiritually. So while your connection with God is on an individual level in that sense, there's also the collective relationship that's important and vital to your spiritual growth and spiritual life. So for them to just put a whole list of, of disciplines down here, which have worked for their, in their lives, by the way, they have worked for them, for them to just put that whole list of, of uh, things down there and for us to do them, that's law. That's not relationship. 
but for their relationship with us to help us to develop some of those disciplines in our lives, then that's discipleship. And discipleship has to come through relationship. And see, Jesus came and provided us with... He had relationship with God, but He provided relationship with His disciples. And then He said, you go and make disciples. And you teach them. And so in the book of Acts, it says that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. So there was a, there, there was a, a continuity of, of a recognition that the, the older, the apostles who were stronger in faith would help those who were younger. And this doesn't have anything to do with church leadership. This has to do with the function of the body. This has to do with how we grow spiritually. So does this just happen automatically? Is this just going to happen automatically that once we come into the body, relationships are going to be automatic and my growth is going to be automatic and all that stuff? And the answer is no. It's not going to be. It takes individual, intentional effort to be this kind of a Christian both in my relationship with God and in my relationship with my brothers and sisters. If you're thinking about somebody else at this point, or a program that the church should, should start, stop. And think about what you are doing intentionally and individually to build your relationship with God and your relationship with your brothers and sisters. Because it's what you bring to the body that's going to make the difference. What can you do? How can you or I go out of our way to develop this kind of spiritual vibrancy and activity within the brotherhood? What can I do? What can you do? What am I doing that militates against that? Is it possible for me to be doing things that militate against this in the brotherhood? You know, the only way that we're going to develop spiritually is if we have spiritual interaction between us. And spiritual interaction is different from social interaction. Social interaction is about the things that we do during the week. It's about the day-to-day, run-of-the-mill, um, cooking, cleaning, farm work, things like that. Those are social interactions. When we get together and talk about that kind of stuff, we're talking about social things. But if we're going to develop each other spiritually, we're going to have to talk about spiritual things with one another. And so now, think about it from that perspective. What am I doing to enhance spiritual conversation? Am I stepping out of my comfort zone and talking about spiritual things with people? Well, I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. I can tell you from experience that 
that following Jesus Christ takes you out of your comfort zone often. And it's well worth it. But it takes you out of your comfort zone often. It said in our Sunday school class that your joy may be full. You see, the people that are engaged, and uh, I know not all of you here heard John's sermon the last night on the three chairs, but the people that are engaged in this spiritual interaction and developing and discipleship and increasing in their knowledge of God, those people are the people in the first chair. Now I want to talk just a little bit Time. But I want to talk a little bit about something different. This line is extended to us. And we come together maybe as a group of believers and we say, okay, this is what it means to be a Christian. We should do this and this and this and this. These are the things that we feel are important and vital to the life of the believer. And we say, to be, to be a healthy member of the church, these things need to exist in your life. You know, maybe that's lying, cheating, stealing, um, love, Worship, you know, whatever whatever they may be. Um, I talked to a brother some time ago, and, and he said one of his experiences was that, that he was part of a church that had one basic expectation, and that was that, that they would just every once in a while do something uh, in the community, kind of as an outreach type of thing, and that was pretty much all that was expected. But the rest of the time, the congregation just lived a very carnal or, or fleshly life. So I want us to think about this bubble just a little bit. I'm going to call it the bubble. When the bubble becomes the essence of what Christianity is, then the rest of life is carnal. Because it misses its purpose. And this is a terrible trap. And brothers and sisters... My observation of the church in America as a whole, I'm not talking about one particular angle or avenue or another, but I'm gonna make two, I'm gonna make two bubbles or three bubbles. Those bubbles represent different church administration models. Okay? So churches have taken a different approach to what this baseline should be. But the problem has just about always been, just about, I'm not going to say it always has, I don't believe it always has, but generationally it's a struggle. It's a tremendous challenge generationally. The problem has just about always been that this has become the end 
measure. And because this has become the end measure, then the rest of the life has become free generationally. And the people that are in the second chair, the chair of lukewarmness, are the people who the Christian life is observing whatever is within this circle of understood principle that I need to do. And one of the things we talked about in Sunday school class this morning about the vine was that it's not so much about the doing. It's about the being. It's about being a child of God. It's about knowing who God is. And when these things become a starting point, whichever, whichever point you, you find yourself, when these things become, instead of an end result, when they become a starting point on which to develop my relationship with God, then they are actually a beneficial to my life. But when they become an ending point, they can be deficiency in my life. But the difference is not the existence of those things as long as they're grounded in the Word of God. The difference is not the existence of those things. The difference is how you understand salvation and how you understand what it means to be a Christian. What it means to have eternal life is not to observe these things. It's not to focus on these things. What it means to have eternal life is to know God. And then to develop our understanding of who He is as we go through life. And not only to develop that, but to help other people to develop that. So we want other people to know God who aren't part of the church. We want the people who are part of the church to know God better. We want to know God better. almost hesitant to, to draw this bow because I don't want us to think that there's not value in collectively understanding what's important to help us to start and develop the Christian experience. That is important. But it is also vitally important that we not forget God. In fact, it's vitally important that God be number one. To make the doing be the extent of the Christian life is buying a field without a treasure and it's buying a fake pearl. Why did God create us? He created us to know Him. Individually or collectively? And the answer to that is yes. Individually and collectively. To know Him. Because our spiritual lives need both our interaction with God on a spiritual level and our interaction on a spiritual level with our brothers and sisters. I hope that we can, as we think about the idea of church and having discussion about vision and brotherhood as a church, that this 
can be helpful, and maybe we can come back to it at some point and build on it as we think about and discuss the life of the church. But more importantly than that, I kept thinking as I prepared for this message, I kept thinking about what seems to be like this, this cry of Paul's heart. He says that I may know Him. And that just comes through so strong in his writings that I might know Him. And that's my heart behind this message. And we finished up kind of on, I don't know, maybe a little bit more of a negative note, but that's, I want to leave you there that I might know Him. May that be the burning desire of our heart.